Hey, welcome to The Look Back, my pandemic podcast, or hopefully post-pandemic podcast, broadcasting here from the basement of Newman Media Studios. My name is Keith Newman, and I'm the host of The Look Back. And this is a place where we have some fun conversations with old friends, a few newsmakers, and some rule breakers, all in the name of sharing insights and experiences, along with a little bit of levity and fun. I hope you enjoy the conversation. And if you're so inclined, or perhaps even open to some bribery, you'll share this podcast with some friends who might also enjoy it. Let's go on to the show. It's great to connect with you, Avram Miller. Welcome to The Look Back. Thank you. Thank you for uh, inviting me. What a great pleasure. How are you? Where are you? What are you up to? I'm at the moment. I'm in my home in Tel Aviv. I live in Israel. And what I'm up to, whatever I feel like, basically. <laughs> well, what does that entail these days? I don't know. I heard uh, you were uh, another, I listened to one of your podcasts. I forget who it was. And you were talking about retirement with somebody. <laughs> what is and, that? Uh, and I'm not retired. I'm rewired. I like it. <laughs> so, you know, these days, what am I up to? Uh, I started my professional life in medicine. I don't know if you know that, but yes. uh, in 1966, I'm an old guy now, like I'm almost 78. In 1966, I developed the first uh, equipment to do biofeedback for brainwaves at the University of California Medical School in San Francisco. And then I spent 13 years mostly doing things that had to do with uh, signal processing of physiological signals, which has come back into uh, come back because now with all these wearables, that's what we're doing. So sometimes I talk to the people that are doing algorithm development on wearables because you know they're able to use these little. I mean, they're the computers that are on my in my ring, the Aura ring, or on my Apple Watch. They're you know much more powerful than anything I could work with at the time. But anyway, for 13 years I did that. Then I went into high tech. I worked for Digital Equipment Corporation. And that, as Intel, as you probably know, where I was vice president of business development and co-founded Intel Capital. But these days, I sort of drifted back into medicine. So I'm uh, I'm advising the largest hospital in Israel, uh, Sheba, on setting up a longevity center. It's going to be the first longevity center at an academic uh, hospital. And I'm learning learning a lot about precision medicine and how AI is changing everything. I think we'll change everything in, in medicine. So I'm doing that. And then what else am I doing? I'm trying to perfect my Hebrew, uh, which is not easy. And uh, we travel a lot and I have a good life. I'm lucky. I'm healthy. I'm happy. Oh, that's wonderful. I love the rewired. That, and it fit, totally fits. So look, I love, <clears throat> I love the fact that you're staying not just active, but impactfully active or actively impactful, you know, doing some creative stuff, doing some tech stuff, but working in an area that, you know, can really end up being one of the, one of the major uh, accomplishments for you. I would be nice. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd uh, be nice. I, I mean, at this point in my life, uh, first of all, I'm interested in longevity because as I approach 78, it's you know kind of an interesting topic. Uh, but uh, 
but I really, the science, uh, you know, medicine's going to change a lot. And it's very, I left the medical world because frankly, I just couldn't stand it. I mean, it was so mind numbing and bureaucratic. It's yeah. still uh, bureaucratic, unfortunately, okay. but it's going to be, but kicking and screaming, it's going to find itself transformed. And uh, like many other institutions are going to be transformed by technology. I've been part of that for a long time. I like that. I, I, I like to think that technology can transform things for a positive, in a positive way. But as we know, it's kind of neutral. So it depends on people yeah. whether or not it's positive or negative. Well, and, having, um, yeah. you, you, and you point to this longevity center, then the immediate question or thought that occurs to me is, are we talking about, you know, our duration here on uh, on Earth, on this planet? Uh, how do we extend our lives or how do we make them better? How do we have a more? Well, so, so it's, so the, kind of our theme is, is uh, staying better longer. <laughs> so, you know, I think we would like, all those things, you know, I don't think anybody, not a lot of people would like to stay alive and suffer. Okay, so, you know, we've extended uh, life expectancy, but we've also extended the period of time of people not being very well. And so I think I would settle with everybody. Uh, I mean, if you could keep life expectancy where it is, but you were fit and young and capable until the last day, that uh, that would be okay with me. Uh, and you know, I plan to. I, I, I'm fortunate. I, I'm I'm very healthy and very fit, and I'm very good cognitively. But I work at it. I do everything. I I do things every day. I exercise every day, and I exercise my mind every day. I exercise my body every day. Uh, and fortunately, I picked you know the right parents, so I probably have some good genes, and yeah, uh, and we'll eventually be able to deal with that. Not quite yet. <laughs> so, uh, and I'm happy that I can still do something, you know, and not just uh, sit around and, you know. But it doesn't mean that I don't want to enjoy myself because I think enjoyment is part of life. I think there are only two things that really matter in living. One is to have some impact and know the world is different in a positive way because you existed. And the other is to enjoy it. <laughs> it makes sense to me. Hey, um, we'll do a soft a soft pivot. As you know, I wanted to talk about the book and, and your Intel career. The book, The Flight of the Wild Duck, which obviously has yeah. to grab everyone's attention when we hear that. Now, it was named by Andy Grove, your former uh, boss mentor at Intel, mm -hmm. right? Or he your name, the book, because right. he, he wasn't even it wasn't around. But when I, the wild uh, <laughs> well, when I was interviewing people, I did about 70 interviews. And one of the people I interviewed was Renee James, who at one time was Andy's technical assistant and later became president of Intel. Now she's the CEO of, uh, of another company. Uh, and I was telling, I was bemoaning the fact that I felt that I had not had enough impact on Andy and therefore not on Intel and that I, you know, I, said, I said, what could I have done? One of the reasons I wanted to write the book was to explore this. Was there more that I could have personally done uh, to have impacted Intel in a positive way? Because kind of what happened to Intel wasn't such a surprise to me. If we look at Intel now, compared to the Intel when I was there, the, for your audience, I left in 1999. And that was, 
I, you know, 2000 Intel hit its peak in terms of stock price and, and maybe its impact and slowly, uh, you know, went down and down in terms of relevancy. No surprise to me. It was one of the reasons I left. But, you know, I, I was comp saying, you know, I just wished that Andy, what could I have done? Why couldn't I have gotten Andy to listen to me more? And Renee said, no, Andy listened to you all the time. He thought very highly of you. He said, when you left, he says, Abram was our wild duck and we'll never be able to replace him. And uh, and so I was really excited about that. Not because I, Andy uh, listened to me because I still don't think he did, but because I had a great title for my book. <laughs> well, I'm sure he listened to you, but then again, he was Andy Grove, right? I mean, yeah. uh, you know the, the, the inside and out of that. He wrote the book, Only the Paranoid Survive, which... Uh, was sort of a, a picture of his his philosophy in a way, right? I mean, very apt for the semiconductor world and the PC world between the wars with AMD or Microsoft or whomever at the time you had a focus on. Yeah. Yeah, well, Andy was, a, you know, like many or most successful CEOs, was a very aggressive person, mm -hmm. you know, and very driven. I, I mean, you couldn't get much more driven than Andy. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, I did listen. No, he didn't listen to. I, I don't think he did. I don't think uh, you know. Uh, I wasn't the kind. I think he liked to spar with people, but uh, he was very opinionated, and I think that he just had trouble dealing with the change because he had lived through this amazing period of time where the where the Microsoft processor became the dominant one of the two dominant technologies that created a whole new world. And, and when Andy realized the possibilities of the microprocessor, he did a brilliant job of captivating all that. I think, I, you know, I'm fond of saying that what happened is when I joined Intel in 1984, it was uh, in the strip, uh, in the, it was selling coal, you know, by the ton, basically. We were selling memory chips. Okay, and then, we we discovered a van of gold was the microprocessor, and we extracted every uh, every bit of gold out of that vein. And I I, I used this analogy of Andy, and I said, Andy, when you finish extracting all the gold, you know where you're going to be. You're going to be in a big fucking hole. Yeah, and that's what. And uh, so you know, uh, Intel, you know, just didn't know what the next act was. It was really, even though we were involved with the internet, we were supplying equipment to it and all the rest, it was really hard to uh, to make that transition. And of course, we've seen this, everybody talks about this and writes about this. And, you know, why can't companies make these transitions? And, you know, some do. I mean, I'm I'm shocked that, uh, that, I, that uh, Microsoft had done so well. It's right. very shocking to me. Right. Uh, they would and IBM is still... Microsoft was doing the same coal mining. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, fortunately, uh, Microsoft was able to eventually get the right CEO. And Intel was never able to get the right CEO. Mm. So you And the question is, does it have the right CEO now or not? Well, we don't know. No. But we know for sure that's after Andy, which is one step down every every time. Isn't it funny that a company so large and diverse that so much of its success becomes dependent on the CEO? And we saw 
you know, there was a recent change at Disney, right? Where all of a sudden there's a new or another. Hey, man, <laughs> what's, what's, an, what's an automobile without a steering wheel? Mm. I don't know. We'll find out soon, right? <laughs> one of the things one of the things Adam you were a big proponent of was broadband communication yeah you were doing yes that was my that was the the biggest thing I ever did in my life and uh, tell me about that most tell me about your right. well, well I mean the interesting thing the interesting and think was how uh, how uh, how everyone was convinced in 1992, this is when this whole thing started. I mean, everyone, Bill Gates would be an example, but the major part of the computer, the, the uh, technology industry and the media industry, everybody was convinced that the interactive device in the home would be on top of the television set. Uh, and, and so they spend billions of dollars Everybody, Oracle spent billions, Silk Graphics spent, uh, you know, a lot of money. I don't know how many they spent billions. Microsoft spent billions. Disney, Time Warner, my God. You know, the okay, and they were all chasing this thing. And I started uh, looking at that and working with General Instruments when Dom Rumsfeld was the CEO. I even go to Dom Rumsfeld. Oh, yes. Wow. <laughs> uh, you can believe that. But anyway, and... I realized that the television was not the right device for many reasons, which we don't have time to go into, but uh, one of which it didn't even have enough pixels, but people and people didn't want to watch, uh, uh, interact in their living rooms. And I, and people, and people were starting to have computers at home and the AOL was starting and all the rest. And I learned about the cable system and I realized that we could co-opt, you know, the computer industry was really good at co-opting other people's technologies. We could co-opt the cable industry and use that they had tremendous bandwidth that they didn't know the, what to do with. They were wasting it on television. That's why we tell them, you know, you're wasting it. Uh, and so we started up this program to do broadband. Uh, we didn't get a lot of help in the beginning, but eventually we were able to convince people through the trials we did because cu customers refused to give up their their cable modems. They wouldn't they wouldn't give them up, and uh, it, but it took it took eight years to get a million homes. Eight years, and uh, uh, and we used Intel Capital to invest in all kinds of parts of the the stack from you know investing in. Broadcom to investing in broadcast.com, Mark Cuban's company. I always joke, you know, when I see uh, Shark Tank because we we had Shark Tank. He was up on the stage and I was on the bottom. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he was pitching me. Yeah, uh, that was a pretty good exit, so, by the way. I don't know how much it actually shows up in, in today, but uh, that was a pretty good exit. Yeah, well, it was good for, I think we made something like $800 million from small investment. Yeah. Uh, Mark, the Mark course did really well. So, uh, you know, broadband, uh, I mean, it just, it was a new medium and it changed how we did everything. Yeah. Uh, you know, was so. Scenario, was there a scenario where Intel saw itself becoming a Qualcomm 
on top of Intel or as a, a uh, the opposite. So I discovered Qualcomm. Uh, I mean, nobody in Intel knew Qualcomm. I went down, I discovered Qualcomm. I went down and talked to Jacobs, talked to everybody. I came back and I said, you know, we need to uh, to work with this company. I didn't say acquire it because I was convinced we couldn't acquire anything. We would destroy it. We could invest in it. And and he said, well, why would we invest in a company that's making parts for phone for telephones? Yeah. For mobile phones. But how are we going to do that? And you know, I couldn't get any place. So I said, okay, well, if we're not going to do anything with them. Is it okay if I invest personally? And they said yes. So I was so that worked out for me. It didn't work out so well for Intel. Uh, you know, it was Broadcom was the company that we should have uh, bought uh, because we were uh, we used their products, and so it was Broadcom that built the chips for broadband. They were building the chips for the set top box, and then I again co opted and used their chips to build the first cable modems, uh, and so. But we didn't do that either. Anyway, <laughs> you want to stay out of that? Okay. So you're over. No, I don't. I don't have to stay. I don't. No, I can. I don't have to stay out of anything. No, you can was, ask me anything you want. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Thanks. I don't care. I'm. I'm kind of curious because I want to sort of fuse things together here. It's interesting the the idea of of what you're doing now, along with the Intel stuff and the tech um, progression. You know, we're doing this march with. And I know you're on top of all the latest. So with with the, with the metaverse, with crypto, with all yeah, yeah. other innovative next generation. I mean, AI is part of this discussion. Virtual reality could be yeah. part of this discussion. Um, how would you look at some of these things today at the head of Intel or at the head of Intel Capital and try to decide where to uh, put your put your bets, make your product roadmap okay build things out yeah well you have to you, you you know you can't think of intel when i was there i cannot speak of now when i was there you can't think of intel as being a venture capitalist right we weren't we were we used early stage investing strategically sure to attain our objectives also to get insight into the future but we weren't so it wasn't Very like typical. okay we have you 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 yeah, are, we have a bunch of money. Where are we going to make money? You know, right? Making money, first of all, wasn't even in a, when Les Fidesz and I started. We had two objectives: we wanted to have strategic insight, and we wanted to affect the market for our products. So, strategic insight in the sense that we would be looking out further than our business units looked by working with these companies. And impacting our markets because we could then invest in companies that would grow our market. And we were lucky because at that time we had 85% of the, of the market for uh, microprocessors. So if we grew the market and AMD benefited, we didn't care. You know, we had 85%. So let's just grow the whole market. Let's not worry about anything. Uh, but then we decided that we should be interested in the financials because in order for these companies to succeed, they had to succeed financially. And so we added that to this thing. And then it turned out that we really knocked it. I mean, we made so much money. We were the, we started with $50 million. When I left in 99, we had, uh, the employee was 9 billion and we had taken 3 billion off. 
Uh, so, it, you know, uh, and, but we had an unfair advantage. We kind of knew everything that was happening in the industry. Plus, we could ordain something. You know, I would go and talk to the Wall Street Journal and explain something to them, and they would talk about it, and then they would mention the companies we're invested in, and those companies then would get other investments, and, and so on. It was just... It, it, it was an ecosystem. It was a healthy ecosystem. It worked. There wasn't any shams. Going on. Our real companies that made real products that made real money for their investors. But you're uh, explaining today. I have some doubts about that. Yeah, you're explaining. I mean, Intel is hardly a, a a typical corporate VC, but you're explaining sort of the goals and objectives of corporate venture as opposed to a traditional venture capital firm. Um, strategic investing towards you know achieving. Well, yeah, I talked to companies. I'm also like I'm a, a, a senior advisor to the Cleveland Clinic, and they were a venture group. And I was able to influence uh, that organization to move it out from under finance and put it as part of the research organization, because I consider venture investing for for any institution, government, hospitals. I don't care. It's not business. I consider it a research, in a sense, a research activity. Uh, and it should never be in finance. If you like want to make it brain totally. dead, stick it in finance. Totally agree. <laughs> okay, so separate my question from Intel and just say, looking yeah. at some of the new trends, these emerging things, how would you look at and evaluate some of these things and make some decisions? I mean, we have a little hindsight now with what's going okay, on. Okay, well, I, I have a methodology, which I can, I'm happy to share. Please. Okay. Uh, because I'm, uh, you know, I, uh, and so it, it relates to your question. So I've always looked for what I call neighborhoods. I wanted to find a neighborhood that I thought was going to develop. And, uh, and I used to, you know, a lot of venture capitalists say, you know, we're investing in the team. Okay. So for me, that was like, when I'm investing in the house. Okay, no, I'd rather have a bad house in a good neighborhood than, you know, than a good house in a bad neighborhood because <laughs> I can always fix the house later. So I, so I would pick neighborhoods and I don't know what I would, uh, uh, well, I, I, there are a couple that I, would, I might pick now, but anyway, I would pick the neighborhood and I personally, this is my methodology, I personally learned about that neighborhood. I would hire people to train me to tutor me. When I looked at the computer industry, I went into, I mean, the cable industry, I went into head ends. You know, I i understood how the wires worked. I understood, you know, I would go to their shows. I always, I always learned about businesses by going to trade shows. You know, I would sit around and talk, not with the senior guys, but with the middle managers and have drinks with them. And I learned about the trade shows. So I, I felt my job was to pick the neighborhood, to understand the neighborhood. Then I would find somebody and make them in charge of the neighborhood. And I would trade them how to do it. And then they would have the people. And that's how we did it. Because we, we had hundreds of people, actually, you know, by the time I left. Uh, I think the, the, the biggest opportunities happen when you have discontinuities that uh, converge. So what happens is you can look at something if you're in an industry and you can see the trends and see how, oh, AI is going to help uh, impact us this way and AI is going to impact us that way. So, Well, guess what? Thousands of people are seeing the same damn thing you are. You know, you're no genius. Okay. And, and so 
the really creative thing, if you can do this, if you have this ability, is when you see the kind of things come together to the, so that they're coming together accidentally. You know, they're, they're, they weren't, nobody's making this happen. They're just ha coming together. And uh, for instance, the great thing, I, a long time ago, my blog, I wrote about it, GPS. And I said, God damn, this GPS is good. What can we do with this GPS? Okay. And then we had a cell phone. Or I remember 1999, somebody showing me a cell phone with a camera on it. And oh my God. So those are just, so those, that's where I, I personally always look because uh, I mean, I, I was trying to figure out not where to make money, but where Intel could benefit, you know, what was going on, trying to understand the future, where the big opportunities were. Then we invested in them. But so I know that one of the ingredients, so I, so I guess if I was doing it now, I'd be looking at, well, what are the key ingredients and, you know, how can we mix them up? And AI, of course, is, is one. And, uh, but, you know, it's not the only thing. Uh, cyber, you know, I have no interest in cyber, you know? Uh, and uh, I mean, blockchain, although that's a technology, it's an important technology, but what's going on with the cyber stuff and the rest, uh, you know, keep, I, I don't, I don't want to even be near it. Crypto. You mean the crypto stuff? <laughs> yeah, I mean the crypto stuff. Yes. Uh, I don't even be near it. But I, I don't know that I could be that helpful. People sometimes, you know, ask me because they, you know, had a track record, but I, I don't spend my time uh, thinking about it. But I'm you, more you interested. Up, you brought up an interesting point, Avram, when you said, look, I look, I look to see where things can, uh, you know, really leap forward. I, uh, you, know, you use the example of a phone and a camera. It's yeah. almost like that Reese's yeah. peanut butter commercial. Wait a second. Yeah. Chocolate, peanut butter. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. you go, wait a second. GPS and data, and I'm I'm sitting at, and I'm in head of, head of Google Capital. Can you imagine? Right? It's like, oh my yeah. gosh, I have a an amazing way to capture you know troves of data. How could I use that? I can yeah. insert that into my search, right? Yeah. So this is where this is where creativity comes into play, and why in my mind the venture capitalists. I would never be a venture capitalist. Be most creative people I've ever met are venture capitalists. They're bankers. Uh, <laughs> Huh? <laughs> They're bankers. Yeah. So, you know, the creativity. So, uh, you know, and if you read, you know, my book, I try to talk about this uh, creativity and particularly intuition, which I believe is really underrated. It's really important. Intuition is, I define it as when you know something, but you don't know how you know it. And in our civilization, we have, we've decided, like Intel had this big problem. If you couldn't say, if you couldn't show how you knew something, you didn't know it. Well, that's ridiculous, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, you know, I had a lot of trust in my intuition and I and I think intuition and, and creativity, they kind of flow around together uh, because a lot of, well, we think of creativity and we understand this when we look at artists and so on, is like, their unconscious, their subconscious, their creative self, and all the rest. This exists in all human beings. This is what we're about. And, and harnessing that. And unfortunately, corporations have really destroyed that. And so institutions tend to destroy the creativity. Uh, so I, I uh, but I, but my approach to investing, 
I still do, you know, I do some of it still. I'm actually doing okay with it. Yeah. Uh, like I mentioned the Aura Ring, I was the first investor in Aura. Uh, the, um, uh, you know, I, I always look for the opportunity. And for me, an opportunity isn't something you make, but it's something you discover. Uh, the analogy I like to use is surfing. You know, you have a surfboard, you know how to surf, you still know you need to go to a beach where there are waves. You can't make a wave. So some people are better at recognizing the opportunity than others earlier, you can be too early. But anyway, there's an opportunity. When people present things to me, even now, I tell them, explain to me the opportunity. I don't want to hear anything else first. Because <laughs> if I don't believe in the opportunity, why am I going to waste my time listening to anything else? <laughs> you know, and there are more and, and there's so many opportunities. You know, why would you be involved in something that wasn't a great one? You know, then there's the strategy. How do you go about? You know, how are you going to go about going after this opportunity? And when that and there, when you know, it's going to be a strategy I believe in. But if I talk to entrepreneurs, I always say to, and tell me the other strategies you considered and discarded. And if they don't have any others, I'm done. Uh, then there's the execution. So that's where, you know, venture capitalists, like when they talk about investing in the, in the uh, team. Well, most things that get funded fail because of execution, because most things fail because of execution. So... It's very important. And then there's the reward. Uh, now, the most important thing, though, to understand about success is that the one thing that successful businesses have in common is they were successful. Uh, <laughs> and so because randomness and luck is the most, is the strongest force in all life, in all business. And, uh, you know, another thing I'm fond of saying is that there are two ingredients here in success. One is being lucky and the other is not mistaking your luck for being smart. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> we definitely so, owe respect for luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it's all luck. You know, it's, it's, it, it's. There might be a better and, word. I, I defer to my wild duck friend here on the call, but I think there might be a better word than luck for another conversation yeah so you know the i mean the people who think that they uh, that they weren't lucky and think they're so much better than the people who failed because they failed because they weren't lucky they weren't you know you should have a little bit of humility here i was incredibly lucky in my life you know and i'm grateful for that and uh and almost every time i can find the you know why it was luck you know you you got on an airplane you're sitting next to somebody i got on an airplane uh sitting next to someone who told me about a company who had just started that was doing uh connecting to the internet over television yeah <laughs> and i i have a similar I mean, you know, great yeah i could have i could have been sitting in another you know, I, I maybe I would have done the same thing. Maybe I would have done the cable modems, but well, maybe and, I wouldn't have. And we could look back on all the people we've talked about on the call today and find certain periods of in their careers where they were lucky and it changed the game and there was a pivot moment and, you know, fate intervened. Hey, let me do a quick pivot, though. You're sitting in Israel. <clears throat> we're talking about innovation. I know Intel's sort of uh, 
over-indexes towards security as like, you know, amazing uh, hotbed of activity in terms of development in, in, in data security and privacy and surveillance and all that kind of stuff. But what's happening in the whole uh, startup ecosystem? I'm sure you're you're actively yeah. uh, checking in there. Uh, give us a prop for Intel, for Israel. I'm sorry. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm not that active in it because, you know, when I came here, I really, I realized that if I got too exposed, I mean, people would be all over me because they would think like I was like a, a direct tunnel to capital, venture capital in the United yeah. States. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, but the thing, I'll tell you the secret sauce, if you want the secret sauce, my conclusion about why, why it works so well here. Yeah. The secret sauce is the Israeli Defense Force idea. And why is that secret sauce? Uh, a couple of reasons. One is uh, not all Israelis, because unfortunately it's only the Jewish Israelis, which represent about 80% of the population uh, and the Druze, but otherwise about most of the Arabs don't. They are, they could, but they don't. Uh, they all go into men and women all go into the uh, Israeli Defense Force when they graduate high school, and the men spend three years, the women spend two, but they all get a common culture. So when you start up a company here, everybody knows how to work together. They've, they've all been in a common in a company together, which is called the Israeli Defense Force. And they get great training. Uh, okay, so that's number one. Number two, industrial policy in Israel works is enacted to a large extent through the through the Israeli Defense Force. What does that mean? So Israel tries to think out about the future. Okay, so let's say uh, uh, ten years ago you started thinking that uh, cybersecurity would be really important. Probably happened earlier that. What they do is they fall in, in the school system, starting probably about the age of 10. They look for the superstars and they follow them. Just like in some country, you would look for the sports ones, the really athletics. We don't do it in athletics. You know, we do it in, in uh, you know, in brain. And so they find those people. And then when they graduate high school, instead of going to the IDF, the Israeli government sends them to the university. And then after they take it out of the university, they put them in special for in special units. So they would form a unit for cybersecurity, you know, and they would form a unit. Those people then serve in the military doing that uh, strategic function. And, and then Israel has these incubators. The government provides the money to the incubator. The incubators uh, invest in these startups. And there are people that are following all those people that come out of the IDF. So they know which ones are the really good ones. So there's a whole system, you know, totally different than anything you have in the United States, but oh, it makes sense in Israel. You couldn't do it in the United States, you know, wouldn't make. So that's how it happens. So, and it's in every area though. And, uh, you know, it's almost, I mean, hard to find an area uh, where there where something's not happening. But the big areas, of course, are the ones you know, uh, in, as well as uh, ag tech. So ag tech is probably uh, played some role, I would guess, in the Abram Accords. So uh, the Arab countries, especially the Emirates and Saudi Arabia, have a lot of food insecurity issues. And uh, I 
uh, as back four years ago, in fact, I was having communications with Saudi Arabia and Israeli uh, startups about agricultural technology. I mean, the Saudis are all over Israel. They just don't admit it. So they're investing through the UAE and whatever. So, you know, ag tech, uh, uh, big one for Israel, because, you know, like right now, we grow 50% of our produce in the desert and what was just a desert, you know. And ag tech will become, geez, I think ag tech is going to become so huge. Uh, we're going to have a lot of food issues with climate change. So anyway, did I answer that question? I don't know. Yeah, no, no, you did. I mean, we can go on, but I, I'm already over time and I, I know you're busy. Where's your Where's your favorite place to go out? In, you're in Tel Aviv, right? Yeah. What's your favorite place to go? For like a, you know, talk about a restaurant or what are you talking about? <laughs> cool. I, I don't know. I just, I'm curious. Uh, um, are you more of a coffee bar guy or do you, uh, are you, you hanging out at the gym? What are you, where are you, are you uh, going down to the local uh, watering hole? I don't know. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm not that social. You know, uh, my, you know, we go for, we walk 10,000 steps a day. So we go over, it, Tel Aviv is a crazy city every day. You know, just, it's like full entertainment. We just walk in the streets in Tel Aviv. Uh, we live very close to the Carmel market, the Shuk. We go there sometimes. Uh, we're 12 minutes away from the beach. Uh, it's still it's 70 degrees here right now. Uh, you know, so it's, uh, you know, we don't really have, we don't, as I say, we don't do winter, you know. <laughs> so, well, like your roots um, back in, like your roots back in Santa Clara, it's probably seventy degrees there too. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, this is a twenty-four hour day uh, city, but I'm not twenty-four hour day person. You know, so I get up early, go out, whatever. I do Pilates. You know, I exercise all the time. Like I know you. Uh, I I just you know I, I chit chat with you. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, encourage all of my listeners to get the book, The Flight of the Wild Duck. What a great read of creativity and tech and innovation, and entrepreneurship. I love what you're doing with the Longevity Institute. That was my secret um, question I wanted to ask you about because I think there's so much of what has to be uncovered. In fact. It, it, you know, I, I don't know why we don't have more people going into uh, areas like that versus all the uh, people flooding into Google and Intel and Tesla. I wish we had more people doing more science and medicine um, and things like that. But, uh, we'll, you know, it'll, it'll evolve. Yeah. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it. <laughs> nice to meet you. And, uh, and, and yeah, if you ever have another question, you just send me an email and... We can keep right. talking. Thank you. Okay. Many blessings and uh, happy holidays. Be well. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Look Back. We do appreciate your support. Welcome any feedback and would love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and even consider sharing it with some of your friends. For more information and other cool info, check us out at newmanmediastudios.com.